I had not read Ephesians 1 in a long time, and that's where we're going to be tonight. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians 1. And I realized that the book of Ephesians is what I call a meat and potatoes book. Like every verse in Ephesians 1 has filled libraries full of commentary. Libraries full of commentary. And I thought to myself, how are we going to get through Ephesians 1 in one night? Because I don't think anybody here brought a sleeping bag. And I'm here to tell you guys, this church only has two showers, not enough for all of us to spend the night. And some of you may ask, Sarah, how do you know the church only has two showers? Well, that's a very interesting story, and it was very awkward, and I'm not going to tell it tonight. (laughs) That's for another night. But someone in this room has definitely seen me with a towel on my head trying to sneak out the back of the church. But at any rate, I decided to just really pray and ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want us to sort of turn the lens and to kind of draw into focus in Ephesians 1? And I feel like I have a word exactly for the people who are in this room tonight. I want you to know you're not here by accident. You didn't just happen to catch all the green lights and you made it. You know, you're not here because, you know, well, I might as just kill time because my kids are in the youth group. You are here because the Lord has a word for you tonight. And it's from Ephesians 1. And we are going to focus in on what I call Paul's prayer. And we're going to just kind of sit down and unpack that word together in Ephesians 1. And we're going to pick it up in verse 15. So if you have your Bible, that's where I'm going to start reading tonight, okay? So it says here in Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If you have a pencil, underline that you may know him better in your Bible. Verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Woo! I don't know about you guys. But I'm ready to just go ahead and close this out in prayer and y'all can go home. I feel like we just had church. If all we did was just read that word, that is powerful tonight. And I want to unpack that tonight with you guys. Are you guys ready? So the first thing here is that I want to I point out the fact that Paul is writing us from prison. And he's sitting in a prison cell and he's writing this letter, not just to the church in Ephesus, but to all of the churches he's planted. And while he is writing this letter, he's praying for those churches. Now I'm going to get real transparent with you guys. If I am ever in the clink, I don't know that I would have the wherewithal to pray for anybody but myself. 
Like if I were praying for you guys, I would pray that Alyssa Restivo could get $5,000 together to bail me out. Like that would be the nature of my prayer if I were sitting in prison. Not that I have any firsthand experience, but I'm thinking hypothetically, if I'm sitting in prison, I'm going to be praying for myself. But Paul is sitting here and he's praying for the church. And I was struck and I was reading Ephesians 1. I want to know what he's praying for. If he has the wherewithal to pray for the church, what is he feeling compelled to pray for? Because here's the thing. Our prayers are eternal. When I read in scripture about what's in heaven, there's angels in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, our streets are paved with gold, the mansions are in heaven, but your prayers are in heaven. And it says in the book of Revelations that the prayers of the saints fill bowls in heaven and they are offered as incense before God. So Paul not only prayed for the church in his day, he prayed for the church in 2015. He prayed for Celebration Church. He prayed for each of us that we would know Jesus better. That's the first thing he prays for in verse 17. It says in verse 17 that he says here, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. Paul is praying that the church would know Jesus more, know Jesus more, know Jesus more, that we would know Jesus deeply. I think this is where we are in today's culture, in today's walk, is that people have a lot of information about Jesus, but they don't have relationship with Jesus. And I want to submit to you that if you and I are going to walk in a way that God envisioned us walking, if we're going to walk in a way that Jesus died on the cross for us to walk, we are going to have to know Jesus more. Paul is sitting there in his prison cell, and if he's like, if this movement, if what Jesus has done on the cross is going to extend beyond the 12 guys he recruited, beyond the 120 that were in the upper room, beyond the couple thousand that are in Jerusalem, beyond the churches that I have planted in Philippi and Ephesus and Rome and all over the known world, the body of Christ is going to have to know Jesus more. And I want to submit to you guys today that that's the first thing we have to chase and pursue is a knowledge of Jesus, but more than that, a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. We have plenty of information, but do we have relationship to go with it? And I'll tell you why we need a relationship with Jesus, because life change happens through relationship. Life change doesn't happen through information. If life change happened through information, good grief, we wouldn't take half the medications that are advertised on TV, you know? Have you guys seen the side effects? May cause blurriness, may cause paralysis. I'm like, I will just take my chances with high blood pressure. Holy moly, you know? But if we had information as Americans, we know what foods to eat and not eat. We know we need to exercise. We have a ton of information, but our lives don't change. And you and I will have a ton of information about Jesus, but until we have relationship, our lives won't change because life change happens through relationship. And so Paul's like, you know what? The church today, the church tomorrow, and the church that's going to be here until Jesus tarries is going to need to know Jesus more, not just in their heads, but in their hearts. You know, 
I remember I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, near the Federal Reserve Bank. And it was really shocking to me as a kid to grow up and to realize that currency, you know, the dollar bills that you and I spend, are actually printed by the Federal Reserve. And so I found out that this bank is in Richmond, and I felt like we had our own personal gold mine. I'm like, hey, who needs an oil well? The Federal Reserve Bank is like on Main Street. We can get our own dollar bills. And then I had a relative who worked there, and I thought, sweet, I'm in. I, you know, I'm going to, I guess, pull off a bank robbery at 10 years old. I don't know. And I just thought we were like royalty because we had a relative who was a teller or some sort of secretary at the Federal Reserve Bank. And I asked her one day, I said, how do you guys know what's counterfeit? Like, how do you know... Do they train you, you know, look for dollar bills that are this size or look for dollar bills that are this, you know, texture, you hold them up to the light? How many of you guys have ever paid with like a 50 or a 20 and the cash register person does this number? Anybody? Checking for counterfeit or they run a marker over it. So I'm like, you know, Aunt Joyce, what, how do you know what's counterfeit and what's not? And she said, well, this is what we do. The Federal Reserve only lets employees handle the real stuff. The real stuff. Days on end, months on end, you just handle the real stuff. You're touching it, you're counting it, you're stacking it, you're preparing it. You only handle the real stuff, the real stuff, the real stuff. And she said, and then one day, they don't tell you when, they introduce counterfeit. And because you've been so sensitive to what's real, you know it as soon as you touch it. You don't have to hold it up to the light. You don't have to taste it. You don't have to smell it. You can spot counterfeit. And this is what I want to submit to you. I think today in our church, we are doing the opposite. Instead of having people just handle the real stuff, know Jesus more, know his voice, spend time in his word, sit there and bathe everything in prayer, handle real, handle real, handle real. And when that errant thought or that errant theology comes, you spot it immediately. John says, my sheep know my voice, they hear me, and they follow me. Instead, we sometimes reverse engineer it. We try to teach people how to find counterfeit. Well, if it looks like this, if it sounds like this, if it makes you feel this way, if it doesn't do this, you need to memorize that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. People are more confused than ever because we've been feeding them a diet of information, a diet of information, when instead, we just need to be handling the real thing, handling the real thing, handling the real thing. And when the enemy tries to come to us and offer us something that we know is false, we've got it. Because we know him more. And that's Paul's prayer to the church. I want you to know him more deeply. Now, I've been walking with the Lord for like years. <laughs> you guys couldn't tell what I said? It was at least years, you know? I got saved when I was in the fourth grade in Mrs. Branch's class. I was 10 years old. I remember, gave my heart to the Lord, and I have been walking with the Lord 25 years. I'll out myself. And there are so many of you guys 
You've been walking with the Lord maybe twice as long as I have, or half as long as I have, or three times as long as I have. I don't know. And you're like, Sarah, I got the know Jesus more thing down. He and I have been through a ton of scrapes together. I got the hash marks to prove it. I promise you, we've been in plenty of foxholes. Jesus and I were like this. And I want to encourage you. The church needs you like they have never needed you before. They need to hear your stories. They need to know your stories. Because here's the deal. Paul says that I thank God every time I remember you. That's how he starts the chapter. And so many of you who have walked with the Lord for years and you have the battle scars to prove it, I thank God every time I remember you. And then in the next breath, he says, but I still pray that you would know him more. Amen. That you would still never find the bottom of who God is. That every day you wake up and you fall more in love with this guy. Every day you find something new to appreciate about him and to learn from him and to sit at his feet. That you can testify to a mom who is tearing her hair out that, no, take his yoke upon you. It is easy. It is light. He says, learn from me for I am humble. I am here to tell you that it's truth. We need your stories. Revelation says that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and... 50% of my success equation depends on you sharing your stories. And you share your stories in life groups. You share your stories with people who need an encouraging word in the lobby. And you get more stories and you get deeper stories when you love him more. And Paul knows that's what the church is going to need to survive. So we're sitting here and I want to end or put a cherry on top of this first point with saying there's a big difference between having a knowledge of Jesus and knowing Jesus. Anybody, you following me there? So, a knowledge of Jesus, I like the uh, way Corinthians puts it, 1 Corinthians 8.13, it says in the word that knowledge puffs up. So some people have a knowledge of Jesus. So Timothy puts it this way. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. So some believers are walking around and they're like, well, I know Jesus heals. And I know that, you know, there's the Pentateuch and the New Testament, and I know he came to replace the sacrifices. I know that I'm supposed to do these things and walk this way and understand things this way. This is the way it's always been done, and this is the way it should be done. They have a knowledge. They have a knowledge of who Jesus is, but they don't know Jesus. They don't sound like Jesus. The scent of heaven is not on them because they don't know that they know him. They have a knowledge of Jesus. The other part of that verse says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And to me, this is what love looks like when it's built up. Lord, I know that you are my provision. Lord, I know that my son will return to you. I know that I can claim his promises, that I will live to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living on this side of eternity. 
I know that you will make provision for our family and we will have money to pay our bills. I know that I can trust your heart when I cannot see your hand. I know that your character is unfailing, God. I know, I know, God, that you have good things for me, that my steps are ordered of the Lord. I know, God, that you do not waste any experience on me, that everything that I see is for my good and for the good of the kingdom. Love is building this wall. <coughs> Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. I want to submit to you that when you seek to know Jesus more, you have a wall of faith that you hide in, that you seek refuge in when things get a little bit dicey. The, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, amen? The righteous run in and they are, amen. So we have a choice as believers. We can have a knowledge of who God is and when he doesn't do what we think he'll do, when he doesn't act like we think we know he's gonna act, when he doesn't give us what we think we deserve, our knowledge, you ready? <laughs> How many of you have met shell-shocked Christians? Something happens and done. How many of you have met people that you don't know how they're still standing? <laughs> you want to know the difference? One had a knowledge of Jesus. One knew Jesus. Amen. That's a good time to clap. Ephesians 3.18. Pastor's going to keep staying in Ephesians, and I don't want to give away the rest of the book. But Ephesians 3.18, if you have a piece of paper, it says, Now love of Christ surpasses knowledge. Love of Christ surpasses knowledge. And so tonight, my first point, we're going to know Jesus more. And every time we get to know him, we fall a little bit more in love with him. And another brick is laid. And another brick is laid. So we're going to know Jesus. And then Paul keeps praying. So we're going to find out what else he prayed for us. You guys ready? All right, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. My sermon tonight has two points, that you would know Jesus and you would know what you've got. That you would know Jesus, and you would know what you've got. That you would know Jesus, and that you would know what you've got. That is Paul's prayer summed up in one sentence for the church, for you and I. And so how are we going to know what we've got? I recently saw a study. How many of you guys have a droid or an iPhone? You know, maybe you guys are on Facebook right now. <laughs> Do a little selfie, like, ah. Maybe you should text Pastor Frankie. She's killing it. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't mind. No. But they polled Apple users, and they asked Apple users, how much of your phone are you actually utilizing? You know, it took an entire room 
to put a man on the moon. Rooms full of computers. You remember that? The big IBMs way back in the day to get, get those guys on the moon. Today, our teenagers and you and I are walking around with almost as much technology as the Apollo 7 people had in the palm of our hand. And at an affordable price, technology has never been more accessible. So they asked people, how much of your phone do you think you're using? And people said, oh, 86%, 92%, 50%. And I, I, you know, I didn't read the rest of the article. I thought to myself, well, I have a lot of contacts. <laughs> I have a lot of apps. I've got, well, goodness, Surrey, make me an appointment tomorrow at 4 o'clock. I got a secretary for the price of a phone, y'all. It was brilliant. So I thought, you know, I said, I don't know about 75% of my phone's capacity. I'm not so proud. There's probably something I don't know how to do. I'll ask Isaiah, you know? He, he's, he knows about 90% of the iPhone market, I think. So I read the rest of the article. Guess how much the average user utilizes their phone, the capacity. 25? Do I hear 10? Do I hear any more? 15, 8, 10%. Average user utilizes 10% of this machine's processing power, what this machine can do. When I tell you we got to know Jesus and we know what we've got, I think there's a lot of believers walking around with an iPhone, a spiritual iPhone, and they're tapping about 5 to 10% of what God has for them. And I'm here to tell you that there is so much more. There is so much more. There is so much more that you and I can have incomparably great power. Paul is praying for that 2,000 years ago, for the church to have incomparably great power. But because people want to skip on the first step, they don't want to know Jesus more, they miss out on the second step because they don't know what they got. And so if you and I are going to walk in everything God has for us, Paul says that I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. The eyes of your heart would be opened. Because here's the thing, church. The eyes in your head are never going to validate what is happening in the supernatural. The eyes in your head are never going to bear witness to what God is doing on the inside of you in your family, the way he is guiding your steps, the way he is weaving your circumstances, the things that he is speaking over your life. When Jesus makes intercession for you every day before God the Father, the eyes in your head are going to be the last thing to see what God has been putting in your path and causing to come to fruition. And Paul says, you know what? If the church is going to know what they've got, the eyes of their heart have got to be open. Because when the eyes of your heart are open, you are going to see his glorious riches for you in Christ Jesus. What are glorious riches? Well, I don't know. Peace, joy, love, faithfulness, kindness. Money doesn't even get the list. I could use a little bit of peace. How many of you guys could use more peace? Turn on the evening news. I'm like, I could use a little security here, Lord. Who incomparable riches. He says, your glorious inheritance, your glorious inheritance, that you would see everything you do, everything you touch, everything that crosses your path through an eternal lens, 
That everything that you weigh is in comparison and in juxtaposed against your glorious inheritance. Because when you know what you've got coming, it makes you very satisfied in the here and the now. You think, man, Lord, if you have good things for me, if this is what my hope and my future are, then, Lord, why am I chicken scratching and working hard and striving and elbowing down here? Lord, let me rest in you. Let me trust you with what you have for me. Open the eyes of my heart that I can see things like you see things. I've been uh, praying for my family. I've been praying for my children. I've been praying for the people in my life group. I've been praying for everything. We've been in this season of where Pastor Frankie has challenged us to pray like we've never prayed before. And it has been definitely an exercise for me. And I felt struck because I was spending like the first 15 or 20 minutes of my prayer time praying for myself. Because I need a lot of help, for one. (laughs) And number two, you just sort of know what you need all the time. True? And I felt the Holy Spirit kind of come to me and he said, Sarah, it's not pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. But pray that you would see your challenges through my eyes. Pray that you would see situations that people are fighting through the supernatural, through the eyes of your heart, because that's going to revolutionize the way you pray. Then I'm not praying, Lord, I need a widget. I'm saying, Lord, I thank you that a widget is not what I need, but I need an engineer to make a widget. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? You start praying supernaturally instead of praying naturally for supernatural things. You start praying supernaturally instead of praying in the natural for supernatural things because you're praying through the eyes of your heart. You know, I love the show, Antiques Roadshow, on PBS. You know, my dream is that one day I'm going to go home and visit my mom and I'm going to find some trinket in her attic and we are retiring on that thing. Anybody else seen Antiques Roadshow? Oh, good. So I'm not the only PBS junkie here. That's good to know. Downtown Abbey and Antiques Roadshow. All the guys are like, what? What are these shows? But these guys, they find these, you know, treasures. Sometimes they think, oh, you know, I bought this at an antique store in New Orleans. I paid $5,000 for it, but the guy told me it was worth seven. And, you know, the appraiser's there, and he's like, I've got great news. This is going to make an amazing coaster for your, your beverage while you watch TV. It's worth exactly $3.50. And they're like, oh, crestfallen. I thought this was some antique plate. And then I always find a guy who brought something in a brown grocery bag. You know what I mean? It's just something he picked up off the side of the road or his grandma put it on a shelf. And he drives it into this antiques road show. And the appraisers are like, (gasps) you know, that's when you know it's going to be a good one. I was watching the show and this girl had a necklace that her grandmother had left her. She let the grandchildren play with it. Everybody thought it was glass because it was from the Depression. Nobody had money in the Depression. Grandma lived like she didn't have any money. You know, she saved all the bags from the bread and the twist ties. Anybody had a relative like that? Yes, that's probably what I'll find in my grandma's attic. Wonder Bread bags from wall to wall. But she walks in and she's got this necklace from her grandma. And they're like, she's like, I don't know, it could be worth something. I think it's vintage costume jewelry. And they talked to her and they said, well, 
this is an extraordinary piece. And then, of course, I sit up because those are the cue words, you know, an extraordinary piece. There was a designer, Marcus and Co., that went to work for Tiffany for a period. And he designed for Tiffany, and then he decided he wanted to go out on his own. And your grandmother's vintage jewelry are Rhodesian sapphires set in platinum <laughs> that Tiffany's, one of their earliest designers, did, and his stamp is on the back side. My eyes are like this big. I'm like, hey, Grandma, it's Sarah. Hey. <laughs> Listen, I'll be home for Christmas. And <laughs> no. So her eyes are this big. And of course, the next question is, what is it worth? And the appraiser goes, I'd put a value on this piece because of its tie to Tiffany, because of its originality to this designer, somewhere in the $250,000 range. This woman was letting her grandchildren play dress up in what she thought was this glass necklace. And you and I are sitting here, and sometimes in our walk, we're playing dress up and patty cake, and we're sitting here with incomparably great power. We don't even know what we've got. And the enemy sure is not going to tell you because he wants you to think your inheritance is some costume jewelry made out of glass. So he can tempt you with something in the here and now. But you and I are walking around with glorious riches that the eyes of our heart have to be able to see and appraise and value so that when you and I walk and we go toe-to-toe with the enemy, I'm not even tempted by that. I know what I got. We got to know what we got, church. We know Jesus and know what we got. Know Jesus and know what I've got. If the only thing that you remember when I leave here tonight is that you know Jesus and know what you've got, know Jesus and know what you've got, to know Jesus and to know what you've got, then tonight was a success. Then your walk starts new today because you're pursued you're always trying to find the bottom of him you're swimming deeper you're holding your breath you're finding how great and how wide and how limitless what is the height the breadth the depth of his love for us you're always swimming trying to find bottom and then when you hit a hard place you sit there and you're like no the eyes of my heart are telling me the truth I know what I have I know what I have to go into this fight his incomparably great power, his glorious riches, and my inheritance. I want to just end with a story that I think really helps kind of put a cherry on top of his incomparably great power. And it's uh, a story I found, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says here that just before World War II, in the town of Itasca, Texas, a school fire took the lives of 263 children. There was scarcely a family in the town that was not touched by this horrifying tragedy. After the war, the town built a new school, which featured what was called the finest sprinkler system in the world. The town was very proud of their new school. Honor students were selected 
to guide citizens and visitors on tours of this new facility to show them the finest, most advanced sprinkler system technology. Never again would fire take the lives of so many innocent children. This town's darkest days were truly behind it. Many years later, the town made progress and grew. It was necessary to enlarge the school. And in adding the new wing, it was discovered that the sprinkler system had never been connected. So many believers we have beautiful pipes. We have all the infrastructure. We have what we think it'll take to put a fire out when the fire comes to our lives, to quench the darts of the enemy, the fiery darts of the enemy. We think we've got our sprinkler system in place. But unless we know Jesus and we know what we've got, we're just a bunch of pipes not hooked up to a water source. Our lives are about as safe as a school with the finest sprinkler system in the world and not a drop of water in it. You know, if you want to know tonight how you connect to a source, you know, we don't connect to water. We're not really sprinkler systems. It's a metaphor. But you want to know, well, how do I connect to know Jesus more, to know him deeply? How do I connect to walk in his incomparably great power. I want to make sure I've got something in the pump, something in the pipes when the fire comes. The one answer is prayer. Paul knew it 2,000 years ago, sitting in a prison cell. The best thing I can do for the church today and my day and age is to pray for it. And he sits there and what's the best thing I can do for Celebration Church in 2015? to pray for them, that they would know God and they would know what they've got because that's going to be what saves their lives.